So C.S. Lewis, the great Oxford professor, prolific author, and Christian apologist, wrote something that's pretty well known, but it's a good time to repeat his words. He said that pain insists on being attended to. Pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciousness, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Lewis said that God shouts at us in our pains. Well, as you well know, we're living in a terribly painful moment of human history. I don't believe for a moment that God caused this pain, but I do believe that God will use it. Perhaps he'll use this season of plague and pain to shout at us, to get our attention in ways that perhaps we'd normally be deaf to. And I want to suggest that God may very well want us to shout back. Now, the idea of shouting at God as he shouts at us or to us in our pain may sound odd, even uh, irreverent, or maybe even blasphemous. God, however, is not upset by a good shouting match, not if it leads to reconciliation and relationship and faith. The fact is that Scripture is full of anguished, even angry prayers, loud prayers. David wrote in one of his psalms that he was, he was surrounded by his enemies and that he was crying out for help, that, that he was pleading with God aloud. And here's part of what he said in that loud prayer. He said, evening and morning and at noon, I will complain and murmur, and he will hear my voice. Moses was trying to lead God's people to the promised land, and they seemed to be disinterested in making the journey. And Moses prayed a loud, and it sounds like pretty irreverent prayer. He said to God, why are you treating me this way? What did I ever do to you to deserve this? Did I conceive them? Was I their mother? So why dump the responsibility of this people on me? If this is how you intend to treat me, do me a favor and kill me. Jeremiah was prophesying and full of passion. In fact, he was full of such passion that he said that his words came out like a, quote, violent outburst. But the people were laughing at him, and Jeremiah prayed a prayer that went like this in part. He said, you deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Even Jesus displayed his humanity when he was in the garden, and Scripture tells us, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And then he shouted a prayer on the cross. Matthew's Gospel tells us about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, each of these shouting matches, if you please, ended well. God could have zapped each of these men in their audacity. Now, I know that Jesus was more than a man, but on the cross when he shouted to the Father that he felt forsaken, he was shouting as a man. God could have, could have denied these men the answers to their prayers, but instead, in his mercy, he answered their prayers in his own way and worked out his eternal purposes in his own time. David, 
was a man after God's own heart who carried out God's plans. Moses wrote the law, built the tabernacle, and led God's people to the borders of the promised land. Jeremiah, his prophecies of exile and return were fulfilled. And Jesus, of course, was raised from the dead. Their anguished, loud prayers caused God actually to answer Maybe not in the ways they expected, maybe not as soon as they had hoped, but he actually worked something out better for them than they were asking for in their times of extreme pain. If you please, their shouts at God. Interestingly, the Latin root for our word prayer is precarious. Sometimes we pray because life is precarious. One of my favorite stories, and I have a lot of favorite stories, but one of my favorite stories is about a guy who was driving a truck uh, along, uh, up high in the mountains, and uh, off to his right was a cliff that dropped uh, precipitously. It dropped about 500 feet, and the guy was driving a little too fast around the curve, and he lost control of the truck. And when he did, the truck uh, went over the, the cliff but somehow this guy was ejected. He grabbed a hold of a, of a bush at the top of the cliff and the truck went tumbling down and ended up uh, uh, landing in the canyon and bursting in the flames. And this guy's hanging on to this, this small limb of a bush looking down 500 feet and he tried uh, to pull himself up. And, and then finally, in this terribly precarious situation, he did uh, what anyone would do in that situation. He said, is anybody out there? And a few minutes later, the voice of God came rumbling through the canyon, and God said, I am here. What do you want? And this guy said, I want you to save me. And a few agonizing seconds later, the voice of God came again, and God said, I will save you. I want you to trust me. Let go of the branch and I will catch you. And the guy looked down 500 feet, and then he said, is anybody else out there? Well, the fact is, there's nobody else out there. And the deal is this, that we pray to God because we somehow know there's not anybody else out there. And we are especially moved to pray when life is precarious. Sometimes we don't like the answer that we get in our moment of pain, but we have to trust that God is going to catch us. Abraham Lincoln said, I have been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. The fact is we don't have anyone else to go to, and we don't have anywhere else to go. But thankfully, most of us don't pray only when we're in pain. We we just have an instinct to pray, a need to connect with God. And our instinct to pray is evidence that God is in fact out there. The great uh, pastor and preacher Charles Spurgeon said, to seek aid in time of distress from a supernatural being is an instinct of human nature. I believe in the truthfulness of this instinct and that man prays because there is something in prayer. In other words, we pray because there's something out there. 
And then Spurgeon goes on to make the point that's been made by Christian apologists for years. He said, we're thirsty because there's water to satisfy our thirst. We're hungry because there's food to satisfy our hunger. And we want to speak to God because God is in fact out there. There is a God who will hear us, who will answer a God with whom we can have a relationship. We pray because we, in fact, know that there's somebody out there. I like the story that Pete Gregg tells in his wonderful book, How to Pray. I highly recommend this really simple but profound book to you that's just been released, How to Pray by Pete Gregg. I'd love for everybody who's a part of the Life Christian Church to read this book. Pete Gregg told about how he had a friend named Kathy who was a militant atheist. And uh, she was a young woman who had just had a baby and and did not have a a boyfriend or husband uh, involved in her life as the baby was a small child. But she found herself one day looking at her sleeping baby, overwhelmed with a desire to give thanks to someone or something for this gift of all gifts, and not having a human beings to speak to, she instinctively whispered a few conscious words of gratitude out into the silence. And as she did so, the atmosphere seemed to change. She said that wave upon wave of love, unlike anything she'd ever experienced, came flooding into the room. And kneeling there that night beside her sleeping baby, Kathy began to talk to God, relinquished her atheism, and 30 years later is a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. Look, guys, here's the deal. Whether we shout prayers to a God that we believe in or whisper prayers to a God whose existence we doubt, God is out there waiting for us to talk to him. Simply put, God just wants us to pray. Now, I must tell you that I don't often, if ever, shout prayers to God. I shout perhaps sometimes uh, praises to God. But though I, I don't shout at him, I do talk to him about everything, the good, the bad, the painful, the wonderful. He... Uh, really wants us, it seems, to just talk to him. That he wants us to talk to him and he wants us to listen to him as he talks to us. He'll shout if necessary, but really, God just wants to have a conversation. He wants to be in relationship. He wants us to grow to know him and love him and to know how much he loves us so he can do good things in our lives. God just wants us to pray. So my definition of prayer, which I've offered a number of times here at TLCC and have written about, my definition of prayer is this. Prayer is communication between God and a person about who we are and what we are thinking and doing together. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that today, but, but I will say it again, and I'm really pleased that you're able to use life notes as you're watching me online today, this is a good thing to write down. Prayer is communication between you and God about who you are, meaning, first of all, it's about relationship. It's about knowing and being known. 
So prayer is communication between a person and God about who we are and about what we are thinking and doing together. Now this kind of prayer is manifest in all kinds of ways. Paul wrote to the Ephesians and said, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. I'm gonna repeat this again. We just need to pray, whether we whisper a prayer or shout a prayer, whether we sing a prayer or write a prayer, whether we pray a prayer written in scripture or a prayer written by some other person. We just need to pray, and especially now, in the midst of this COVID-19 plague and all the pain it's visiting on our world, we just need to pray. God said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Hear the voice of God saying, if my people would just pray, I'll show up and I'll help heal their broken land. So. It seems right today then to teach about the spiritual discipline of prayer. So over the last number of weeks, you know if you've been tracking with us that we've been teaching about visions of Jesus, how to know Jesus better. And it's really amazing to me that though we planned this series last fall, it seems to have met this moment, this crisis moment in our world It seems to have met this moment perfectly. I'm grateful uh, for the grace of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit who knows months ahead of time what people are gonna need at a time like this. And there's just not really anything I'd rather speak to you about any more today than prayer. And I'm gonna talk about it this week and I'm gonna talk about it next week. We've been talking about spiritual disciplines and how spiritual disciplines are, are, are things that we do that put us in a place where God can do the good things that he already decided to do, but will only do if we're paying attention. Let me say that again, a spiritual discipline, which I've spoken about at length in recent weeks in terms of trying to describe them, a spiritual discipline is something that we do that puts us in a place where God can do good things that he already decided to do, but we'll only do if we're paying attention. So so this is perfectly true of prayer. God wants to be in relationship with us. I wanna put the emphasis on the right word. God wants to be in relationship with us. God wants to talk with us about who we are and what we're thinking and what we're doing together. God wants to do good things for us. God particularly wants to answer our prayers, but he can't do this the way that he wants to unless we actually pray. God will not answer unprayed prayers. So for the rest of my time today, and again, Lord willing, next week, I wanna talk about how Jesus modeled prayer for us and how he taught us how to pray. I'm gonna take a real simple approach to this. It goes like this, Luke chapter 11, verse one. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I'm sure everyone watching is familiar with the Lord's Prayer. Some actually call it the Disciples' Prayer, but we're going to speak to it in the traditional way, the Lord's Prayer. And I'm going to take sections of this over the next couple of weeks and talk about how to pray. So let's start with this. Let's start with the disciples seeing Jesus praying in a particular place, and when he finished praying, Someone in that group asked, Lord, teach us to pray. So I think the first thing that's important to note is that Jesus was modeling prayer. Praying in a certain place was normal for Jesus. He clearly practiced a discipline of prayer. There are a lot of scriptures in the gospels like this one, Mark chapter one, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, remember, Jesus prayed because he needed to pray. As we've discussed in recent weeks, though Jesus was God manifest in the flesh, he decided to not take advantage of his deity while he was on earth, but rather to live as a man dependent on his relationship to the Father and dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, he could only know and do what the Father spoke to him. This is what he said. The Gospel of John records Jesus saying this, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son knows also. It was in prayer that Jesus connected to the father. Or we'll say it this way, Jesus connected to the father through prayer. When Jesus was praying, he was getting direction from the father as to what to do. This was not an optional part of, of what was happening with Jesus when he was on earth. He was fully dependent on his relationship with the Father to know what to do. And he was dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit to help him do it. Jesus was showing his disciples and all of us who follow him how to be in relationship with the Father. So before he taught them what to say in prayer, he taught them what to do by modeling prayer for them and for us. Well then, he taught his disciples what to say. I wanna read it again, Luke chapter 11, verse one. And by the way, I'm reading from the New King James Version because I like um, the, the, the way it sounds coming off the tongue and uh, I know that it's the way that most of us are familiar with uh, saying the Lord's Prayer or as um, um, uh, all of our Roman Catholic folks would say, the Our Father. So I love the way this reads. Um, he was praying in a certain place when he ceased. One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. So he said to them, 
When you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into, into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This prayer is only 31 words long in the original language. And uh, I read a, a scholar this week who said that actually in the original language, uh, it rhymed. This was a, a short prayer that would have been easy for people to remember. I think part of what's going on in this teaching is that Jesus wasn't trying to make this too complex. I think perhaps uh, it's best to say that he didn't just teach them what to say when they prayed, but perhaps it's even more accurate to say that he was teaching them how to approach God in prayer, what to be thinking about when we pray, what to focus on, the kinds of things we should be praying when we pray. One of the reasons I say this is that the Lord's Prayer is not just to be recited verbatim, verbatim as if that's it. Uh, the Lord's Prayer, if you please, is, is kind of a, a construct uh, that, that gives us a sense of the, of the way we should approach God and the kinds of things we should be praying about. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't recite it. I recite it often. I would say I recite it several times a week. There's not a prayer in the world more beautiful than this prayer that Jesus offered. But I just want you to think about it. It, it doesn't do us any good to mindlessly recite this prayer. You know, I, I've always found it tragic that, that, that someone would say to someone that in order for them to do penance, they should go recite our fathers and whatever. Uh, that, that, I mean, th this, is, this, is, this prayer is not punishment. This prayer is life. And uh, so I want you to think about this prayer being how we approach God. As one translation says, Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Uh, and, and know that Jesus did more than uh, just recite a particular prayer. Jesus practiced all kinds of prayer. Private prayer and public prayer, long prayers and short prayers, prayers for others, prayers for himself, anguished prayers, joyful prayers. My point is, and I've probably said it too much already, that the Lord's Prayer is not a formula as much as it's an approach and in all its simplicity, we find lots of truth about how we can approach God in prayer. So let's dig into it kind of a section at a time. Let's start with, the, let's go next to this. Jesus said, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven. Note that this is our Father, not my Father. The King James captures the fact that Jesus was talking to a community of people when he said, when you pray, pray like this. Though it's certainly not wrong to just say Father, and some translations have it that way, it's good to keep the idea of our Father in mind. I, I like to think about two things when I think about it being our Father. The first is that we're a part of a community. More specifically, we're a part of a family, and all of us share the same heavenly Father. He's just mine. Pardon me. He's not just mine. He's yours. He's ours. It's never supposed to just be about me and mine. It's always supposed to be about all of us. So as you watch online today, 
I encourage you to think, even if you're sitting alone right now, that you're having a shared experience with, uh, I I hope this week it'll approach 2,000 people or maybe even more. And I want you to think about the fact that our Father is every one of those people who's watching online right now. We share him as a community. He's our Father. The second thing is, and more importantly, our Father is the Father of Jesus Christ. I love it. Jesus stands there talking to his disciples, and he refers to God the Father as our Father. Jesus made it so that we would be his brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of God. His Father is our Father. Now, this is a game changer. It's like Paul said to the Galatians, so you are God's child And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. There's another passage, I think it's in Romans. I'm almost sure it is. I think it's in Romans 4, where the Apostle Paul described us not only as sons and daughters of God, but as joint heirs with Christ. So in other words, when we see our Father as the Father of Jesus, we understand that we are heirs of what Jesus is an heir to. This is a powerful thing to consider, that we come to God with, positioned in a way where through Jesus, we are, as Hebrews 2 says, his brothers and sisters, and we come as children of God, and we approach him with an understanding that, that because of Jesus, we can come to our Father with an expectation that he wants to bless us in the same way he would bless his own son, because we are, in fact, his sons and daughters. Now, here's the imp- part of the, another part of the implication of this truth as we each approach God in prayer. It's that we can pray from a place of familial familiarity. I like saying words like that. We can pray from a place of familial familiarity. Approaching God as Father was something that the Jews that Jesus was talking to were not familiar with. They wouldn't even say the name of God. I had experiences just a few weeks ago in Israel where uh, Jewish people I met would not speak the name of God. So here Jesus is now talking about God as his father and our father. And this was a mind-blowing idea to the people who were listening that people could approach God as, as they would approach their father. And also, as is well known, the word that Jesus used in this prayer for father was Abba, an Aramaic word, Abba. And Abba was actually a a term not as formal as we would think of the term father. It was something more like dad. Now, one has to be careful about going too far in that line of thought, but the the, the idea was that that Abba referred to a relationship of affection. It, It gives you an idea that the father is approachable. And um, this implies relationship. It implies intimacy. We are to pray with an assumption that we're conversing with a God who loves us, who knows us, who wants to be known by us. Now, I know that everybody isn't blessed with that kind of relationship with their earthly father. But I'm incredibly blessed because I was and am. I always knew 
and I still know that I was unconditionally loved by my dad. And as a consequence, I wanted to be with him. I, to me, one of the most enjoyable things I could do as a kid, and perhaps it sounds strange, I wanted to be with my dad, and I would go to great lengths. Um, my dad was, for instance, I don't know why this came to my mind this week, but my dad was the bass singer in a very popular Southern Gospel quartet. And you may not even know what Southern Gospel music is. Don't worry about it. You, I've heard enough for all of you. My dad was a bass singer in a Southern Gospel Quartet, and Southern Gospel Quartets were very, very popular when I was a kid. It was before contemporary Christian music, worship music, and all this stuff. Anyway, um, the, this quartet had a, had a Greyhound bus that was outfitted to travel as a group, and they would travel in this bus to places that, where there was a short enough distance for them to sing. And uh, one of the things they did, it seemed like, if I remember correctly, almost a one night every week is they would get together and they would work on this bus. Now I'm, I'm telling a story that probably my own kids haven't heard. It's not much of a story, it's a simple one. The idea was that my dad would let me tag along. And because I got to be with my dad, I would go to, to and help them work on this bus. They'd, they'd give me some simple little thing. This is pre-teenage years. They'd have me sand something, or they'd, uh, ha I'd carry things and run errands for them. The fact of the matter is I hated every minute of the work. I am not a handyman. And that might be the last time I ever sanded anything. Uh, but the, the point is, I got to hang out with my dad. I just, he, he, he was such a great dad and is such a great dad that I loved spending time with him. I, I want you to get an idea, if you would, of, of, a, of a heavenly father who, who loves you, who is approachable, who, who you want to spend time with. You're not praying a prayer because it's some duty you're supposed to do. You're praying a prayer because you have a relationship with your father and he loves you and he wants you to be with him and he wants to be with you. Jesus told us that we can have the kind of relationship with his father that he had and he was constantly spending time with the father. See, we are, we are sons and daughters who have a relationship of such familiarity that Jesus actually said that we're God's friends. John chapter 15, I have called you friends for everything I learned from my Father, Jesus said, I have made known to you. So, first of all, I talked about how the disciples said, teach us to pray and how Jesus modeled prayer. Secondly, I've talked to you about how the Lord's prayer starts with Jesus saying, when you pray, say our Father. Lastly, today I'm gonna to talk about how then Jesus said, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, I talked about familial familiarity, I think that's what I said. But I don't want you to get confused about the nature of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. We are His sons and daughters, and through Jesus, we're called His friends, but it's important to remember that He is God and we are not. He is our Father in heaven, and His name is to be hallowed. 
So to hollow means to set apart, to make a thing the opposite of common. God is a loving father, but don't forget, he is other than us. He is holy. He is our father in heaven, and though he loves us as his sons and daughters, he is to be reverenced and praised. He is, he is, he is out there beyond us. He only has shown up in our world through his grace and his love and his own choice. The theologians say that God is transcendent and imminent. Uh, in God's transcendence, you have to understand that he is outside of our world, outside of the universe. If you were able to draw a circle around everything that exists, our heavenly father exists outside of it. He is the cause of everything that exists. He is transcendent. But then there's this next part, he is imminent. And that's a, that's a, that's a term of theology that means the God who was out there decided to show up he showed up through Jesus. He shows up now through the Holy Spirit. But don't, for a minute, allow that to cause you to think that God is just down here uh, 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 as kind of messed up as all of us can be. God is not down here messed up with us. See, you want a God who is out there bigger than all of this. You want a God whose name is hallowed. You want a God who is holy when we are not, a God who is worthy when we are not, a God who is great when we are not, a God who is faithful when we're not faithful. You want a God who is bigger than the problems that we, play, that, that we face on this planet. Let me say it again. You want a God who is bigger than the problems we face on this planet, bigger than coronavirus, bigger than the economy, bigger than any problem that any of us have, a God who is transcendent, a God who is sovereign, a God who is good, a God who loves us and wants to be in relationship with us, a God who wants to do good things in our lives and can because he is bigger than anything we can conceive and anything that we experience. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So part of how we approach this God who loves us and wants to have relationship with us is in reverence. I usually begin my times of prayer with praise and thanksgiving. In fact, this morning, before the dawn, in, in the dark before the dawn, I was in my place of prayer, and I'll just tell you that I began my prayer reciting one of my favorite passages as much as I could remember it. It's the eighth Psalm. It's where David says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens out of the mouth of babes. You have ordained praise because of our enemies. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you visit him? What am I saying? I'm saying that I was intentionally thinking about the Lord's prayer in my time of prayer, in my time of prayer this morning. And I started by approaching God the way Jesus said to approach God, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are great. You are excellent. You are out there beyond us and 
you can help us in our time of need. It's a great little story about the Italian conductor Arturo Toscanini and how that he conducted on one evening a brilliant performance of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. And when he finished, the crowd spontaneously jumped to its feet and they began clapping and shouting with all of their might. And Toscanini turned around and with great violent motions asked them to stop applauding and shouting and quickly the place became deathly silent and and Toscanini with a hoarse voice looked at the at the symphony orchestra and he said they are nothing they are nothing and then he said I am nothing I am nothing Beethoven is everything Beethoven is everything I like that story because Toscanini knew as beautifully as they had played the music and moved the crowd that really the author of what happened was Beethoven and Beethoven was worthy of the praise in that setting. Somehow or another, we come to God, our Father in heaven, whose name is hallowed, always remember, He is everything. He is everything. He is everything. He is everything we need. He is everything we aren't. He is everything that we're not capable of. Our Father in heaven has a name that's worthy of being hallowed. What an amazing thing. What an amazing thing that that God loves us and wants to do good things in our lives. Now, I intend to pick this teaching up next week with my favorite part of this prayer. And that part is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So next week, we'll start there. But I want to finish today by saying that wherever you are, you need to know that there's every reason to believe, to know that your Father in heaven, whose name is hallowed, wants to do good things for us in our world now if we'll ask Him, if we'll just pray, if we'll just talk to Him. He'll answer our prayer. It may not look exactly the way that we think it should. That's okay. Just know that He hears you. Know that He hears you. Know that He's working in your life in ways that are for your good. You may not even understand. I may not even understand exactly what my good is, but He does. And your Father in heaven, whose name is hallowed and is more powerful than anything in this broken world, that Father wants to do good things in your life. So I encourage you this week to spend time with your Heavenly Father. Look, a good thing about being quarantined is that you can be like Jesus in that solitary place. And I encourage you this week to find that place of prayer where you talk with God about who you are and who He is and 
what you're thinking and ask him what he's thinking and then God what are you doing and how can I be involved have that kind of conversation with God I challenge you this week it's one of your next steps on your connection card which you can download from your uh, computer or you could just use and send to us please fill the connection card out check that box let me know if I did okay today all right because what I'd like for you to tell me is that you'll spend time in prayer this week praying through the Lord's Prayer and thinking about what it means in your life and when you pray I want you to believe I want you to believe that God is for you.